Hello, and welcome to Sideways, a podcast about addiction, recovery, and friendship. This week, we've gone all fast food, kebabs. So, um, what do you want to talk about this week? Well, I want to talk to you and anyone that's listening here about kebabs. Yeah, kebabs. <laughs> I want to talk about kebabs. <laughs> okay. All right. and I, yeah. I think I think not um, not the sort of the the upper market kebab that you might get in a, a nice Turkish or a Greek restaurant. But I'm talking about your your, your basic small dollar chili yeah. sauce. Yeah, and with uh, with the, the with the ubiquitous uh, fodder after you've been in the pub all evening. Exactly, exactly. And I was quite keen on those at one time, and I think that it's uh, yeah, it is very synonymous with with. Uh, with with the, the diet of a of a of, uh, of an alcoholic really, oh, well, the right. diet I of, didn't realise that. So yeah. alcoholics partial to a kebab. Well, I would say in the early stages because when alcohol alcoholism gets to its logical conclusion, you pretty much stop eating ah, anyway. Good, because that's that was what I was going to question you on. Because I'm sure you've said to me in the past that actually, eventually, food tends to go by the wayside. So yes. Uh, you know that would include kebabs, presumably. It would. It would, and I think that. Um, that it, that it stops being a um, a desirable aperitif as it were, to to something which um, really uh, almost symbolises the problem that you had. I yeah. saw it as in the end as something that um, if I had it, I was always admitting that I had a drink problem. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. It was really so weird. if you went really home weird. and you were having a kebab, that yeah. was like oh. I, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. To, I've had too much to drink. <laughs> I, well, I don't think I ever used that term to myself for an awful long time, but it certainly it looked to me as if I was. If I was treading that path, that well-worn path, yeah. So, yeah. so for you, buying a kebab is synonymous with having drunk too much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that's fair enough because I yeah. can't remember ever buying a kebab when I was sober, uh, which no, is probably one of the reasons why I haven't had a kebab for a long time. I, I haven't had one either. Yeah. I haven't had one either. In fact, I did have. I did treat myself. <laughs> don't laugh. I did treat myself to a microwave kebab from I- for <laughs> oh dear <laughs> from Iceland just to try it out, really. And it was what, what possessed you to you be- because it was very cheap and right. good some- quality meat. Then it was it was awful. And but someone said, "Have you ever tried one?" And were laughing ah. when they posed the question. And I said, "No, but I'm going to have one." Now you've said, now you've said that I'm going to try one, and then it was pretty dreadful. Oh, that sounds sounds like the time that. My daughter suggested that I might like these um, cakes that you can make in a mug in your microwave. Okay, that yeah, yeah. Similarly that's similar. disgusting. Okay, so what about kebabs? So we've established that they're kind of uh, connected with drinking, but yeah. tell me where they fit in here. Well, they fit in here. I mean, it, it, it reminds me... Um, it reminds me of, of uh, one of the guys that used to come to, to our groups, and he was... Is sadly passed on now, um, which is alcohol related. Alcohol related death, mm-hmm. which I know when I first went into recovery, I remember my initial one of my mentors down at Kenwood Trust said to me, "Look, um, you know, you're coming, in, you're coming into the recovery community now." This is when I'd just come out of out of detox, and and she said to me, um, "You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's it's." A, it's a ride that you're going to be on, and there's going to be ups and downs. Um, the downs part, the down part of it, really is make sure you've got yourself a, a black suit and a black tie because you're probably going to lose some friends. And it really shocked me at the time. 
Crikey. It really yeah, I mean, is. That's, I suppose that's not really the first thing you want to hear when you're No, it starting. isn't. It isn't. I don't know if she was using shock tactics on me at that stage. I mean, it, um, having had the, the statistics thrown at me of my chances of progressing through to, to, to a sustained recovery um, on the basis of whether I attended meetings and whether I just tried to go on my own and whether I sought further help, etc. It did scare me. So I think it was it was part of the overall package that she was delivering. It was it was scary. But, um, and the, it proved the, to be right. And it did prove to be right. So I've lost some, some very dear friends and some, some people that, that I've found um, quite frustrating to deal with sometimes because you can see the pain in their eyes and it's, it's quite difficult to deal with that as, as uh, when you're running groups, etc. But um, going back to the kebab, this is a, this, 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 it reminds me of, 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 of a guy that we sadly lost who was, uh, he was street homeless and he, were, he, would, he would be on the streets begging and he had a particular way of, of getting probably the, 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 the best amount of money was when he would be sitting outside of nightclubs in the town centre. There were certain spaces that he could go and sit at where he knew that, that some of the people coming out of the nightclubs quite late at night would, would potentially give him a decent amount of money Either they were very happy and were were, were, were happy drunks, and they give him a, a decent amount of money, so he knew that he could sit at a certain place and would get uh, a, a reasonable return. But he also knew that the people were coming out that were less than happy drunks, he would end up getting some quite nasty abuse. And one of the stories I remember him telling us was when, um, if he didn't get the spot that he wanted, um, he would have to go to a, a spot a bit further up the road where he could do his begging. But he knew it was closer to a kebab shop. And the downside of that was normally the people, going back to what we were talking to before, I'd had a lot to drink, went to buy kebabs, um, and would then proceed to um, to throw it at him. To throw their kebab at to him? To throw the bits of kebab so, at so him. So not content with the fact that he's already on the streets, he's now getting fast food thrown at him. Exactly, yeah. I mean, he did make a joke of it himself to, 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 to a certain extent, where he'd say that, you know, it was... Some of the meat was warm enough to, to eat. <laughs> the salad he was never keen on. No, well, um, who is? Well, quite, yeah. Um, but he was. He, he found it... Um, he, I could see it when he was telling us this story in a, in, a, in a group where the honesty is often quite astounding. Um, but he was telling us about... He was going through this story and, and telling us how it made him feel that initially he was joking, but I could see the pain in his eyes that this was a very demeaning thing to have to go through. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough that you're homeless right yeah so did he did he give in the indication i mean it sounds a bit like a, a bit of stupid question really but did he give in any indication as to whether having food thrown at him had a any particular impact on him in terms of wanting to get him out get himself out of that situation or whether it just made him feel hopeless and give up yeah i think it confirmed his his, his self-confirmed status as a as, as a dropout from society. Right, so it just made him feel more of an outlier. Yeah, very much as so. As if he yeah. was worthless. I think he did get used to it to a certain extent because it was it was not just the kebabs, but there was um, you know, urination, there was other other objects thrown at him, and there was constant verbal abuse. And I think that he was he was what I admired about him is that he was making definite steps to try and get his addiction under control. 
How was he well, doing that? Well, I, exactly. I, it, was, it was tough. It was tough. I mean, he was coming. He was coming to groups. He was. He'd, he'd been into two or three detoxes at that point, but his lifestyle was never going to be conducive to having a sustained recovery. I mean, he's got too much time for start, isn't he? Yes. Too much open time. Yes. He's got pretty scant opportunity to get away from his associates and lifestyle. Oh, that's, that, that's, that is the, the big problem, right. that he had real affinity. And you tend to find that um, amongst the homeless people. We, we, we have a number of them have come to our groups over the years, but there's a real affinity amongst those people. Yeah. They do feel that they are an underclass. Right. They do feel that by sticking together, at least they have identification. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I find the same when I, I identify very closely with anyone that has addiction problems. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to, throwing homelessness into the mix there makes it, it makes their journey very tough. And I feel desperately frustrated that, that, that the way society treats homeless people, but throwing addiction on top of it, which we know, statistics show that so many of the homeless people do have addiction problems, a very high percentage where they've either picked up an addiction problem when they've been on the streets or an addiction problem normally has led, been, led them to yeah, the streets because yeah, they've has. lost everything and that is, the, that is the, uh, uh, the the road where this particular guy I was talking about was uh, went on and I know lots of other people have gone down that road as well so he'd gone from presumably having a decent enough life yeah, yeah. you know home yeah. family maybe yeah. and his drink had had led him or had caused him to lose everything it had and, then, and then he ends up in a shop doorway having kebab with chilli sauce thrown at him. Exactly. Yeah, it was. I mean, in his his case also, he was from out of town. And I think a lot of people that um, he tried running away from his addictions. And we know that you carry that with you Literally. in your head. Literally running away. He would, he would, he'd, he'd moved away from, from the east end of London. He'd come down to this part of the world, which he th- anticipated was going to be a friendlier street life it right. didn't really actually turn out that way but no, there's nothing friendly about street life in Maidstone no there isn't no I don't think any I don't think you could pick a town where it would be nice to be street homeless but I mean there's there's a there's a kind of um, you know when, when you're talking about him moving down to Maidstone to, to feel that things would be better that feels to me it's a bit like people who say they're going to go travelling to find themselves. Yeah. And I always think to myself, well, you don't need to look to find yourself. You're right here. Mm. And, of course, the big problem with travelling to find yourself is you have to take yourself with you. So, you know, whenever you're kind of doing... so, It's like when people leave relationships or, you know, buy a new house or leave their job or buy a new car, whatever it is, you know, so often those are... um, uh, are actions that people are taking to try and soothe something that isn't working inside of them. It's just that with addiction, you know, it's it's very visible, isn't it? And if you're homeless as well, it's super visible. It is, yeah. I mean, we always try and recommend that when you're when you're going into recovery, that you take a holistic view of your life and to try and make as many changes as possible. And that particular guy had probably zero chance of making any real impact of the the things surrounding him that were causing him to go down this route or causing his addiction to remain as, as in the same position. He had friends on the streets that he knew he could rely on and they were the only people that he had that he could identify with and would understand him and the problems of being homeless and being an addict. So it's quite rare, isn't it, for people to be able to um, go from addiction into recovery without making significant changes to their lives? Yes. 
even though you didn't make significant changes to your life. I didn't. I, I think I was. Quite, you moved in with a heroin addict. I did. Heroin addict. I did move in with a heroin <laughs> addict, but that was on the back of having to sell my property because I was in so much debt, and so to to, to a certain extent, it, it was hoisted upon me. Yeah. It wouldn't have been a particular path I would have probably chosen, no. but I found it really enlightening. Yeah. Yeah. I really know. enlightening, yeah. and I, and I think that I I learned so much from that. I I would have. I'd probably do the same again. Yeah, I mean, you. you the, but the thing was, for you, I think that it seems to me that the reason you learnt so much from that experience was because you were very strong in your recovery. I was, but I changed. I changed other things. So effectively, I changed house, which is quite yeah. a big change to me. I'd come out of a, an incredibly destructive relationship, which having that not in my in my life anymore was a real relief. Mm-hmm. So I felt just just that on its own was going to just going to help me move forward. Yeah. I would never have, have maintained any sort of recovery within that relationship. So what you did then really was you got rid of the things that genuinely were toxic. Yes, because um, you used to still go in the pub. I did. You? You just didn't I, drink beer. I did initially. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's strange because I, I I find the pub has no allure anymore. Yeah. But at the time, it's still the hangover from, uh, if I can use that word, the hangover from my old behaviour. And I found it very comforting. Yeah. So I did go in there, even though I'd sit in groups and I was castigated for doing so and told off and said, you mustn't do that. You've got to, it, it, you're, they use the old phrase, if you go to the, the, the barbers enough, you're going to end up getting a haircut. <laughs> and uh, There's a certain amount of truth in that. And I found myself reeling out the same sort of thing now to, when I'm with people in groups. So there's a, a certain level of hypocrisy, I suppose. To, but I'm a great believer in that everyone's recovery is different no one's there aren't any rules particularly there's 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 certain boundaries or guidelines which are flexible enough to fit most people's circumstances well i mean i think that's one of the reasons you didn't really get on with aa and 12 step i didn't know and i even though i still go to aa meetings now because i feel a real uh i feel i find a comfort in them i find a comfort in being amongst my around my fellow addicts you get you pick up Strength by osmosis, really, by being, just being in the same room with these people that show incredible strength. Yeah. And I, I never forget that feeling of my first two or three weeks in recovery. And I see people coming into groups, especially with AA, where they are just starting out their journey or just about to embark upon their journey. And it's a real reminder of where I've been <clears throat> and warning not to go back there. It's an interesting contrast, that, because <clears throat> I know that you... When you see someone coming into recovery, or you see someone that's really struggling in the early days, it's one of the things that makes you even more resolute about recovery. Whereas, you know, I've worked with people who find it really hard to see people struggling in recovery. It kind of makes them wobble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, presumably you see that in group as well. I see it all but, the you time. know, it's kind of under. There are people that feel like their own recovery is being undermined by other people wobbling. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you think it is that kind of creates that in people? I'm not quite sure what, what creates that, but um, I know that I see it a lot. In the recovery hub in Maidstone, they have a they have a detox week, so they'll get they'll probably gather a few people together and don't start detox until there's probably, I don't know, it can range from sort of four or five up to sort of ten people all in detox together. Now, there's... The people that you you go into detox with become do become firm friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they become allies. You're going through exactly the same thing at exactly the same time, but you get this horrible 
feeling that if one of that group drops out, how many other people are going to follow? How many other how many other those people are going to just start to have their their faith in the in the in the program start to to, to dwindle? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's to to kind of put people together like that is on the one hand you can understand that it makes sense and it creates a kind of unity and a togetherness, but of course the downside of that is that you're putting people together at their most vulnerable, and so as soon as one wobbles, it's like the whole thing there is a danger that the whole thing will wobble. There because, is. You know, when we're at our most vulnerable, that's obviously when we're, uh, we're going to struggle to, to find that emotional resilience. It's like, you know, I often say to people, um, emotional resilience is easy to find uh, when you don't need it. But when you it's really true. need it, it's, you know, that's when it gets tough. It is. I find those groups, that you get a group of people in, in during the detox week, so they're all being fed to the right... Um, drugs at the start of it medication i should say at the start of their detox week which was gradually reduced over the seven days and they you, you tend to find their incredible strength to each other at that point they really are they they start off day one day two as a, as a very strong unit and they're helping each other out they suddenly found a lot of people have not had any sort of friendships for a while that this is their first step back into society and it's quite exciting they're making new relationships where they've had no capacity to do that for, for in most cases, many years. Mm. So there is this, this great awakening. Um, but you do find... I've, I heard the term the other day is uh, where people, one person will follow another. They call them sheeple. 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 Oh, nice. So people acting as sheep effectively yeah. flocking along and it yeah I do understand it yeah yeah no, I do know it's funny <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I was hoping you would have done it, it, it doesn't take too much working out that no, one does it not really um, very good I've not heard it where did I go where was I yeah so you tend to find that people you get what you do get one brick out of that quite solid wall crumbles away and the rest can follow quite quickly yeah so you tend to find that out of ten probably one or two would would sit would be seeing it through yeah. to a to a, to a reasonably logical conclusion but actually that probably statistically is about um, on a par with recovery generally isn't it yeah it is i mean uh, we can go through statistics at another time but um you, you you do tend to find if you get if you get two people out of 10 so 20 percent, that's quite a good rate mm-hmm. that, is, that is considered pretty good yeah which is um, a bit depressing it's very depressing um and out of those two people um to, to get then a sustained recovery after that you probably get one of those may may, may reach six months to a year mm-hmm and you know how long they go after that it's quite it is it's a depressing statistic so going back to what we were talking about in one of our previous podcasts about the, uh, the necessity for psychotherapy and psychiatric input is enormous because it's at that stage we can increase that, that yeah. percentage yeah, no but, doubt about it at all yeah because you you know the the intervention of some sort of psychotherapeutic help will enable people to get a handle on why they found themselves in that position in the first exactly. place. Which exactly. theoretically might help them stop going back. I think it's rationalising your behaviour yeah. and rationalising where um, what recovery is all about and what it's for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's no good really going to recovery and then going back to exactly the same lifestyle you had beforehand because yeah. you're just going to go straight back to where you were. So you've got to analyse your behavioural. Mm-hmm. Um, properties and you've got to you've got to analyze really why you want recovery mm-hmm. and that sort of external help is essential yeah. and on a regular basis yeah an ongoing basis 
So um, we're running out of time now. I just wanted to ask you, just going back to kebabs. Yes. Um, did you ever have kebab thrown at you? I didn't know. <laughs> I think I d- I've thrown it down myself. Um, did you ever uh, on a couple of occasions? Did, um, did you ever? Did you ever? Um, wake up in the morning with a half-eaten kebab on your chest? No, I didn't. No, I've certainly found it on my bedside cabinet from time to time, but I didn't actually find it in my chest. I think um, the one occasion I did find something stuck to me after a drinking session was a couple of, you know, those sort of chocolate buttons? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd obviously... I'd obviously been eating that. I don't remember it. I'd gone to bed and I'd... I'd you used to like eating chocolate puns. I used to like I used to, any chocolate. I'd yeah. put the television on <laughs> and don't know. It did, I had no idea what I was watching, but I'd yeah. eat some chocolate and then I'd fall asleep. Yeah. Because, yeah. But I didn't know what I was doing. It would be in the morning when I'd wake up, the telly would still be going. Yeah. But I remember on, the, on, on one occasion that I woke up and I struggled out to the toilet as you do first thing in the morning <laughs> and looked in the mirror and I had two of these chocolate buttons stuck to my face. <laughs> <laughs> were they stuck uh, firmly? They were very firm. They had sort of slightly <laughs> melted and adhered themselves. In, in they, were, they, they were glued on firmly. Mm, um, nice. I didn't fancy eating them after that, really. Yeah. But um, If ever there was a cautionary tale for... Um, not drinking too much alcohol. Yeah, there it yeah. is. You know, there's a danger you're going to wake up with chocolate buttons stuck. Yeah, I mean, if um, and worse uh, and worse. Yeah, but if Capri want to sponsor us, then I'm quite happy to do it again. <laughs> I do it in the same fashion. I think fashion. you should put your chocolate button eating uh, in bed behaviour behind. Oh, you. they've long gone. Yeah. They've long gone. Yes, it was uh, part of my rational behaviour, which um, which it could have ended a lot worse, couldn't it? Really, it could have done. Okay, so um, that's it for this week. Okay, well, thanks. I've, I've enjoyed talking about kebabs and, and chocolate buttons, and I'm sure there's other foodstuffs that we could have we, we could have uh, we could have talked about. But I'm sure we'll come th- back to it. Yeah, I think we've made inroads into into as far as we want to go there. Yes. Okay. See you next time. Thank you. Cheers. And you. Bye. Sideways was created by Graham Landy and Martin Pankhurst. If you want to read more about our work, visit us at grahamlandywellbeing.co.uk forward slash sideways. You can also follow us on Twitter and you can email us just to let us know what you think of the show or with any questions that you have about anything that we've discussed. Finally, we want to thank you for listening and ask that if you've enjoyed what you've heard, that you tell someone about it. And we'll see you next week.